what I love about camp, and uh, I'm sure many of you here could attest to this, is when you come to camp, it's almost like you get to unplug from life for a little bit and all the distractions of life. And you get with a group of people and you get to study and you get to pray and you get to sing and you get a fellowship. And, and a lot of times it's for a week long. Um, so whether you know it or not, there's someone out in the parking lot right now slashing all your tires because we're going to stay here for a whole week. Jim's playing meals for the entire week. I'm entirely joking, obviously. But we, have, we don't have a whole week to celebrate today and to worship. We have about two or three hours. And um, as an elder team, we just prayed about it. And we said, you know what? What better thing to do during this time? All these anxieties going on in our hearts. All of these questions, these doubts. You look at what's happened in the last six months, and we've been talking regularly in our Bible studies about this. Who would have ever guessed that what happened the last six months has happened? I mean, if you just make a list of the things that went on, and maybe in your mind you'd be like, wow, maybe one of those things would have happened, but all, like five or six of those things happening in one half year? And so for us as an elder team, we've been praying diligently for the body of Christ at Crosspoint Community Church. And a couple months ago we said, you know what, let's, let's see if we can... We can extract ourselves from Reading. Let's go up and let's meet at camp. And I'm so thankful to God for the staff here that allowed us to come up here today. Um, it, it, it's, it grieves my heart in one sense because this has been essentially a ghost town all summer. This is a place where teens come and hear about Jesus all through the summer. And um, because of the restrictions and whatnot, this is nothing hardly has happened up here all summer. And so to be able to fill this with of believers today in this reflection circle. I'm stoked about that. Um, I'm going to invite all of you this morning, if you have your Bibles or if you have your devices, which you have no reception up here, praise Jesus. Uh, we came up about a day and a half ago, and I have not had reception on my phone. And I honestly, that's like a miracle. I love it. So sorry if you're trying to get a hold of me the last couple days. Um, but at any rate, uh, Take your Bibles, your devices, it's also on the back of your handout, and let's travel to Matthew chapter 14 this morning. Uh, I, I look at today's service as, as definitely sort of like a camp service. I'm going to share a story from God's Word, one of the most amazing stories. I'm going to bring out some observations and some simple application, and then we are going to go our ways today. Um, but I do want to say this as well. Uh, we're not skipping a week in our normal study. Through our study, we've been talking about, and for the me and fellowship, and for others here that may not have joined us for regular church on Sunday mornings, we're doing a series at church called Looking to Jesus. Uh, that should happen every single Sunday morning that we ever meet uh, in the history of the church, that we look to Jesus. However, we are focusing primarily the next three months, so we've got about two months left, dialing in at different portraits of Jesus through the Scriptures. We're not going to skip a beat today. We're going to continue on with that study. However, this week I've been really thinking and praying about this. I was actually headed in a little bit different of a direction, but then I thought, you know what? We have the best visual aid ever with we're preaching by a lake. So let's take a study by a lake today. Even though the Sea of Galilee is about maybe, I don't know, a thousand times plus bigger than this. How many of you have been to the Sea of Galilee? Okay. 
It's much bigger than this. We still can get a sense of what's happening in Matthew 14 in just a small way. Uh, so we're going to take a look at that. Here is the theme that we've been working through. Through times of unrest, uncertainty, disgust, discouragement, we are to fix our eyes. Fix our eyes on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that come alive in Matthew 14 today. Today we're going to, just like it's on the top of your, your hand out there, we're going to dial in on this vision of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the one who can calm the storm. All right? This is probably a, a story that you heard at camp. This is not new to almost any of us here, but we're going to take a fresh look at the story of Jesus Christ with Peter and the disciples on the Sea of Galilee this morning. Um, but the simple key idea that's on your handout there, you can see this, you can circle this. Here's where, if you take anything home, take this home. As our faith is tested, we must fix our eyes on the one who can calm the storm. And then I put right after that, Three very, very, very important words. What are they? In His time. Alright, we are going to fix our eyes on the one who will calm the storms in our lives. But here is an important factor when you look at the scriptures. And we cannot navigate away from this factor. That it's going to happen in His time. Okay, a lot of times we want to extract ourselves from the storms immediately. All right, we're talking today about uh, disciples in a boat on the Sea of Galilee who were struggling potentially anywhere from 6 to 10 hours in a, in a climate that they felt very confident in. And they were fearing for their lives for six to eight hours. And as we look at the text today, we're going to actually see that Jesus was up on a mountain looking down at his disciples. And he knew they were going through this storm. Jesus stepped in at just the right moment. And here's the assurance for all of our lives today. Jesus steps in at just the right moment. There's times in our lives, and we don't, this makes us super uncomfortable. There are times in our lives when we go through all-out storm. We look at our lives and we think, what is happening right now? This goes right back to what we talked about last week, when our, when our joy is being stolen. Well, think of that in terms of a storm. We want to extract ourselves immediately from the storm. We're going through the storm. It's like, okay, God, you're the God of all creation. You're the one that creates this storm and all of these natural things that happen in our lives. You are the sovereign God of all creation, the one who's created and sustained all life. You can take me out of this right now. And certainly he can. But you'll notice that as our key idea says, our faith is being tested. And I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters in Christ, as is indicated through testimony of any one of us in this, not in this room, in this reflection circle, God doesn't always extract us from that immediately. He has a lesson for us to learn as our faith is being tested. So we're going to look at that. But before we even do that, when you think of storms, obviously right away our minds probably go to literal. All right, we're talking about a physical storm. 
All right, this week we had a little bit of fun with this in our home. Uh, not to be disingenuous to those who have gone through some really tough times down in, uh, down in Texas, Corpus Christi area, but Hurricane Hannah hit land. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about that this week. Hannah's dad was texting her, saying, hey, I heard you hit land in Texas, you know. But when we think about storms, we're thinking about natural disasters. We're thinking about blizzards. Any of you stuck in blizzards? I mean, you've been stuck in a blizzard, all right? In Colorado, we would have to time out our trips up to 10,000 feet and back down. And sometimes you would get up about seven, 8,000 feet, and it was like you couldn't see anything around you. Big tractor trailers all around on the road. And in fact, sometimes you get up to the top and you have to turn around and go find another way back home, which would take a couple hours because you're almost stuck in this blizzard. When we think about storms, we're thinking about wind. We're thinking very practically about rain. We're thinking about hurricanes. We're thinking about tornadoes. Any of you here ever been stuck in a tornado? All right, a couple here. Remember one time we were traveling through the Midwest. We had to make our way to the Des Moines, uh, Iowa area. I had a seminary class in Ankeny. And we were traveling through, and you could tell there was a crazy storm happening. And I'm going to tell you, ice cream counts. Like, what are you talking about? We promised our kids we'd stop for ice cream. And so we pulled off, and you could see the storm ahead of us, and we needed to get there. Uh, we had tried to track the storm on our phones, but it doesn't always keep up to date, if you know what I mean. Uh, but we're watching this storm, like, well, let's just pull off, and we got some ice cream. We pulled back on the road, and if we would have kept going, we would have been nailed by this, hurt, by this tornado that went right across the highway. There was tractor trailers flipped over. There was signs all over the place. God called us to ice cream that day. Nonetheless, we missed it, this tornado. Some of you have been through hurricanes. Any of you been through a crazy hurricane? All right. So that's how our mind naturally thinks of storms. You think of physical storms. But I want to think beyond that to, um, okay, uh, here's a word, metaphorical storms. What am I talking about? Okay, how many times in the last six months have you referenced what's happening in our culture as a storm? We're talking about a political storm. All right, uh, this pandemic, when, once this storm hits this area, we talk of it in terms of a metaphoric storm. Uh, culturally, I look at, like I say, every week, if I dare to turn on the news, I didn't get to watch the news as much this week, and God really helped my joy a lot more this week. But when you turn on the news, you're looking at this, you're like, oh man, when is this storm going to pass by? When is this storm going to be in the rearview mirror? <laughs> when we think of storms, yes, we think physically, but we also need to think metaphorically. What's happening uh, around us culturally? Uh, the whole racial storm that is just, it's on fire right now. Even though that's not even in, in an ounce a part of my heart, I look around us and I see the, the struggles going on, the storm of life going on around me, uh, around all of us, and I, my heart just grieves, thinking, what can I do to help this storm? Social storms, politi political nightmare storms going on around us. So when we think about storms, we're thinking about the physical storm. We think maybe the metaphorical storm. But I want to go even a bit beyond that to the storm we're talking about today. We'll see this in this text. And a lot of times when storage, storms range outside of us, they rage around us, whether it's physical or metaphorical, there's actually another storm that is happening. That's a storm that's raging inside of us. That's a storm of your heart. 
Whether you realize it or not, there's a storm raging in the deepest, darkest parts of your heart. When you see the storms raging outside, whether physical or mostly metaphorical, we're talking about all this stuff happening political, and you really stop to think about it, there's this storm that's raging in your heart. Anytime you turn to you know, the internet and you see the atrocities, there's this little bit of fire that kindles a little bit more in your heart. Uh, I talked about storms. Some of them in a very practical way have seen storms when you have a storm like a fire turn into a storm like a tornado here in the, in the area. Author was telling me about the one they could see from the uh, hospital a couple years ago. Up at the Estes' house a month or so ago, and there's trees scarred right behind their house. I'm like, whoa, that came that close to you guys? That's reality here. But when those storms hit close to life, there's actually a storm of uncertainty and doubt. And even when that storm goes sometimes, it turns into something deeper. We're talking about discouragement. Yes, we're even talking about Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, who in very practical ways sometimes deal with the storm of depression in their hearts. When you get up in the morning and you're like, I don't want to see anybody today. I can hardly even get out of bed because I'm so downhearted. Maybe you've been there. That discouragement. I want us to look at Matthew 14 beyond just the simple storm that was raging on the Sea of Galilee today. I want us to look into the deepest, darkest parts of the souls of the disciples. These real life storms that were happening around these disciples. And I'm going to just kind of show my cards here for a second and, and kind of get into what we're going to talk about today. Jesus Christ himself, when he enters into the discussion with the disciples, we're talking about Jesus walking on the water and he sees his disciples. You would expect Jesus to talk about, hey, pull that mask down. Hey, do this, do that. You would expect him to kind of start fixing things emotion or, or physically. What does Jesus himself do? Even amidst the storm, he points out the storm that's, help, that's happening in their hearts. The storm's raging all around them, and Jesus says, hey, what about that fear in your heart? What about that doubt that's in your heart right now? So that's the story we're going to look at today. Um, What's the st setting of, of Matthew chapter 14? Let's just acknowledge what's happening here. Jesus has been into more of this formal type ministry for a year and a half. So he's pretty much halfway through his, er his earthly three and a half, four year ministry here. Uh, he has ministered, he's collected his disciples, he's ministered down in Jerusalem area. Now he's traveling back up to the Galilee. He's ministering in all of these rural areas up by the Sea of Galilee. Uh, some of you just a minute ago have mentioned that you've been to the Sea of Galilee. You know how rural it is up there. And he would travel to these different areas and he would do miracles and he would teach. He would use physical lessons to help teach spiritual lessons. That's what Jesus was doing with his disciples. These disciples' eyes are, are huge. They're watching Jesus doing these things. They are still coming to a realization that Jesus truly is the Son of God. And we're going to see that in the story today. Well, in Matthew chapter 14, if you read the first part of Matthew 14, we're talking about one of, most, one of the most amazing miracles in all of human history. 
What happened at the beginning of Matthew chapter 14? Jesus traveling around, all these people following him. He starts teaching them. 5,000 men come along with women and children. So we're talking, who knows the exact number, what God Almighty does, but we're talking very potentially 10, 15,000 people gather to hear Jesus teach. Okay, there's probably, I don't know, a couple hundred of us here today. Can you imagine this entire shoreline filled, people sitting up in trees all along here, listening to Jesus teach and preach and share the goodness of God, sharing that He Himself was the Messiah from God, sharing God's grace and kindness through creation, through life. Jesus teaching these people. That's what's happening in Matthew 14. Well, it comes to the end of the day, and just like any good camp day, your, your stomach's growling. And no one knows where they're going to get this meal. Remember the stories revealed in, in the Gospels in different places. Andrew goes and finds... Not really a huge part of the story, but a really cool name. Andrew goes and finds this guy, his young kid, five loaves, two fishes. You remember this story? Brings them to Jesus, and Jesus, Jesus is actually testing his disciples. He says, hey, hey, let's go purchase food for all these people. And good old Philip the doubter is like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, all these guys start reacting to Jesus like, are you serious? You're off your rocker, Jesus. We know you're really cool guy, and you, we know you can do some really neat things as we've seen, but Jesus, do you realize there's like 15,000 people out here? There, you're not going to, and, and actually they bring out a number that is like over a, a half year to a year's salary worth of food. Jesus, it's going to take like, like maybe a year's salary to feel, feed all these people. Come on, Jesus, get with the program. I mean, very seriously, this is what's happening to the disciples. And I love it because I can imagine Jesus just shaking his head and saying, hey, go get those five loaves, two fishes, bring them here. And this amazing miracle, he starts dividing it and dividing it and dividing it and dividing it. He feeds the hungry bellies of all of these people. All of them. I mean, these are stories that we hear of when we're little critters. But brothers and sisters in Christ, we could go back to this every day of our lives and encourage ourselves on how amazing Jesus is. He feeds all of these people with food, and there's food left over. Okay, what happened? So that's the precursor to this story. We're actually going to look at that story in about a month. Because Jesus, at the end of this, comes to a conclusion both then and after the storm experience, and he says, I am the bread of life. So we're going to look at Jesus as the bread of life in about a month. But in the middle of this discussion, he does something with the disciples. After feeding all of these 5,000 to 15,000, these disciples, I want you to imagine yourself right now as being one of these disciples. What's happening in your mind? Peter looking at Andrew and being like, did you just catch that? John talking to James, saying, um, did we really, I know we've been missing a couple nights sleep, but did that really just happen? And Jesus comes to all these guys. I mean, you think about these disciples. They're on cloud nine. Okay, we're talking about a mountaintop experience. They're like, this just happened. We fed, Jesus fed, and we distributed a food for 15,000 people. And then they're smiling and laughing and nudging each other's shoulders. And Jesus is like, okay, guys, okay, guys. Get back in that boat and go to the other side. I'll meet you later. They're not processing this. 
Okay, so um, in the group of disciples, we have roughly half, I mean, of half of the guys that are very confident on, uh, on the Sea of Galilee. This was their livelihood, if you remember. Okay, to launch off at night was not that big a deal because they're very skilled at fishing even in the middle of the night to get their catches, as we see in other uh, John 21, other passages of scriptures. They're launching off not even thinking about what could happen on that lake, that sea. Jesus Christ himself, though, knows what's about to happen. I'm going to tell you, this launches about six months of intense teachings from Jesus, specifically to his disciples. This storm experiences getting them to realize that they can't exist on their own. They cannot be self-dependent. They need to depend on Jesus for everything in their life. When our faith is tested, we must fix our eyes on Jesus who calms the storm. That is the lesson that these disciples, every single one of them needed to learn. Especially these bigwig guys that thought they knew everything about the Sea of Galilee. These guys, without second thought, launched out. And what did Jesus do? As the story continues, Jesus goes back to the crowds. And I would think in a very gracious way, he would say, okay, everybody, it's time to go home. I mean, they're leaning back thinking, man, we just got our bellies fed for free. (laughs) All right? Everybody got a happy meal today. Or even better yet, uh, Chick-fil-A order number two. All right? (laughs) Everyone's happy on this account. And Jesus is like, okay, listen, basically show's over, go home. Uh, we'll talk more about this later. But then what did Jesus do? Well, can you pick up with me the story, verse 22. You know, again, you can turn your hand out, out over. And I want us to read this story with a pause button in hand. Do you ever do that? My kids get so fired up probably sometimes because I watch a show that I've already seen and I pause it and have to explain <laughs> it to them. Okay, that's what we're going to do right now. I'm going to read through this and maybe push the pause button a couple times and just add some insight into the story. But let's start in verse 22. Immediately, he, or referring to Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Okay, pause. Remember, he just fed the 5,000 plus women and children. Disciples are on cloud nine. At dusk, without much explanation, Jesus says, go get in the boat, go to the other side. All these people have their bellies filled physically. They've been taught spiritually. Now you guys who also have your bellies filled, you get in this boat and go up before I will be there soon. Let's let's pick it up, unpause at verse 23. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Oh, so much can be taken out of this. After those experiences where you see God Almighty do something amazing, it is so important that we still depend on God through prayer. Just like Jesus Christ Himself did. When evening came, I'm picking it up in 23b, when evening came, He was there alone. So Jesus left the shoreline walked up to a nearby overlooking mountain to talk with his heavenly father by himself. Mark 6 says he can actually see the disciples down on the, on the Sea of Galilee. Get that. He saw the winds pick up and he saw the struggles of his disciples out in this boat. And Jesus prays. 
I can imagine, we, we don't know, and I don't want to fill in too many parts of this story, but uh, theoretically, but I can imagine Jesus is praying for the people he saw that day. He's praying for their souls, that they go beyond the physical part to the spiritual lessons he's teaching them. I would imagine Jesus prayed for his disciples by name as he looked down that mountain and he could see them in the, in the Sea of Galilee. I would imagine he's, he would pray, oh God, oh God Almighty, please help Peter right now not to do anything foolish. Because he does it so often. Help Philip. Help Levi, Matthew. I mean, the, the tax collector. This is so out of his element right now. He's probably holding on to whatever he can in that boat right now. Oh, God, help him. For six to eight hours, Jesus is praying. I can imagine he prays by name for every single one of those disciples as he sees this storm come in. By the way, a side note, I was on the Sea of Galilee and had the opportunity to share a passage. And I was reading some of this passage on the boat. And I was saying, these storms can come in quickly on the Sea of Galilee. And we were talking, I said, well, kind of like that one right there. No kidding. We were on the Sea of Galilee. And within about 15, 20 minutes, we were under clouds and storm was coming in. It happened so quickly. Let's pick up verse 27. Actually, sorry, we, we missed the whole story if we start in 27. Let's go to verse 24. The boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And the fourth watch of the night, so we're talking three to six o'clock in the morning, he came to them walking on the sea. Okay, this is not a Disney story. Okay, this is not Frozen 2, where the horse goes across the lake. Anyways, I may or may not have seen that movie. (laughs) This is real deal. Jesus walking on the water. Verse 26, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. That word terrified is not just like this fear that it's experienced. It's one of those words that means they were shaken from the inside out. Um, Even to the point of being physically shaking, they were so scared. And said, it is a ghost. And they cried out with fear. And all I can say when I read that is, Can you imagine? We're talking seven hours. These guys out there struggling on the sea, going nowhere. The Sea of Galilee is big, but it's not that big. Where after seven hours, you can't make headway. And they're out there, and Jesus is watching them. They're struggling through this to the point where they're afraid for their very lives. Seasoned fishermen. We're talking about tough guys. Strong guys. You know, Potentially crying like little babies out there. Just to be honest with you. This is a real life fear that they're working through. Let's go to verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them. I cannot wait to get an instant replay of this when I get to heaven. And here's what he says. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Okay, so in modern English, it would be something like, yo, it's me. Man up and chill out, guys. Stop it. Suck it up, buttercup, kind of thing, all right? Get a hold of yourselves, guys. It's me. I'm here. Okay, if we continue on. Um, verse 28, and Peter, okay, who we know, his motto is speak first, think later. He answered him, Lord, if it, if it is you, command me to come to you out of, uh, come to you on the water. Okay, pause. 
Can you imagine the response of the other disciples when Peter said that? What is wrong with you, Peter? Are you, are you, did he just say that? Yeah, this has been a long night. Peter, really? Can you imagine Peter's thoughts when that word, those words came out of his mouth? It's like he just wants to catch them and put them back. Like, did I really just say that? But when, here it is, uh, verse 29, he said, Jesus said, come. So Peter, he had to stick to the stuff. He got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Okay, just a quick pause on that point right there. This is a bit of a heart-to-heart talk in the middle of a storm. Did you catch this? Very likely, they are out and the waves are rolling. And Jesus is standing there holding up Peter. And Peter's eyeballs are this big. And he's soaked after gurgling for who knows how long. And Jesus looks at him instead of, hey, let's get in the boat. He looks at him and has a heart-to-heart with him just in brief. He says, where's your faith, Peter? Oh, you have little faith. Why are you doubting? Oh boy, this is great. Okay, I'm going to have to speed this up like turbo now. Because all of our bellies are growling right now. Verse 32, and when they got into the boat, here it is, the wind ceased. That's when the wind ceased, when they got in the boat. Not when Peter was talking to Jesus out on the water. It is when they got in the boat that the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, Jesus. And they said to themselves, they said, Truly, you are the Son of God. Can you imagine that expression? They're looking at Jesus thinking, okay, that's not a ghost. That is Jesus Christ Himself who just walked on the water and nonetheless, He just invited Peter to walk on the water. Peter took took steps on the water? Man, you are the Son of God. Okay, so there are so many facets of this story that we can meditate on for weeks on end. I'm going to simply point out two quick ones here, and they're on the handout in front of you. Here's the first one I want to point out is this. Jesus addresses natural feelings. The joys of technology is they sometimes wig out on you. There it is. Jesus addresses natural feelings from the storms of life. Okay, so in other words, he could have immediately fixed all the outer storm. And remember that inner turmoil that we we're talking about? That's exactly what Jesus went to right away. Without even talking about the storm around them. He says, what's that storm inside of you? What's happening inside of you? Okay, what are the two feelings that he addresses here? Very clearly, two of the, the grandest ones in our lives that take hold of our lives and lead us. Lead us like a dog on a leash sometime. Fear and doubt. We see that? Look with me. Jesus cares enough to address fear. Verse 26, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. They were shaken up and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in absolute fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, 
he didn't say, I'm going to fix this. You guys, it's okay. What did he say? Take heart. Be courageous. It is I. Do not be afraid. Simple point is, through all the crazy storm, Jesus' first response was, hey, you don't need to fear. I'm going to tell you, if we can jump right to a bit of application here, through the storms of life that many of us are going through right now, even this very week, some of that inner turmoil gone on your heart. God Almighty is not going to tell you, I'm going to fix that storm for you right now, but I will tell you what He will do. He'll say, it is I, be not afraid. You don't have to fear. He doesn't just stop with fear, he goes to doubt. And this is the story with Peter walking the water. So back to verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out with his hand, took took hold of him, saying, oh, you of little faith. Why, Why do you doubt? So what just happened? Jesus doesn't ignore the fact that there's a storm going, but He intentionally reaches right into their hearts. Why are you fearing? Why are you doubting? Again, just like you and me. And the storms are happening around us, even some of the storms we're going through right now. I want to tell you, there's been some sitting here today that have lost loved ones in the last couple months. With the flip of the switch, that storm rages in the deepest, darkest parts of your soul. What is Jesus saying to you? It is I. Don't be afraid. Don't doubt. I have a plan. In the raging storms, Jesus Christ, and we see this as the pattern of the entire Bible that's on your lap right now. He goes to the heart. I want us to make one more quick observation. We'll close it out and go get ready to eat some of those burgers. Another simple observation is this. Not only does Jesus address natural feelings, he's talking about the inner storm, but here's another one. Jesus encourages unwavering faith through the storms of life. And and to be honest with you, if you could dial this whole story down to one theme, it is this. He encourages unwavering faith in the face of the storms of life. Um, as our faith is tested, we must fix our eyes on the one who can calm the storm in his time. To me, the greatest expression of this is actually one word. I mean, Jesus is constantly encouraging us to take another step in our faith through storms. He's He's constantly saying, you can go. You can do this by my grace. Where do we see that in this text? Well, verse 29, what does he say to Peter when Peter said this nonsense stuff that came out of his mouth? I'm going to come to you. What does Jesus say? Come. Hey, come here. Peter's like, really? I'm going to tell you, that's the same in all of our hearts. As he deals with the fear and the doubts in our hearts, there's times when God Almighty is saying, hey, come. Take another step in your spiritual life right now. Depend on me. Come. Just like he's doing to all of us, I believe, every single day. Through those doubts, those fears, he's saying, come, I've got this. 
He's stretching our faith. And I believe just like you see on your handout there, this is faith that is grounded in the comfort of his very presence. I want to just point out another simple phrase. Did you catch this in verse 27? What does Jesus say to all the disciples? He says, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Okay, this is written in what other book in the Bible? It's in the Gospels. You find this in the book of John. All right. In the book of John, you find over and over again, as we're going to see over the next three months, you find Jesus Christ saying, I am the bread of life. I am the great shepherd. The construction of it is I in the Greek is one word. It is I am. I don't want to make too much of this. But what is Jesus Christ doing? He's setting his disciples up to learn more from the great I am. Do not be afraid. I am. I am here. I am present. I am with you. This is the ex exact same type expression that you find from Moses in Exodus chapters 2, 2 and 3 at the burning bush. Do you remember that story? I am that I am. Jesus Christ now to Peter. He's standing there. Peter's out on the water. All these Actually, before Peter's on the water, all the disciples on the boat, and he says, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. So where do we find courage through the storm? We find courage in the very presence of Almighty God with us. His presence with us. But more than that, it is taking courage, as you see right through the text. It is faith that is grounded in the comfort of His power. Okay. Very, very simply, what expressions of power do we see in this passage? Okay. Well, like it goes without saying, Jesus is walking on the water. That really happened, right? How, how interesting would it be to see Pastor Tom, after he prayed, to just walk on the water out to that dock? I mean, it would rock our socks. You're like, what is just happening? This really happened. This is an expression of the very power of Jesus Christ himself, the great God-man. Then beyond that, what's another expression of his power? He invited Peter to come to him, and Peter walks on the water at his beckon. And Jesus then lifts Peter out of the water. This is a powerful Savior. But then like the climax, the icing on the cake, the cherry on the top of the Sunday for all of this is when Jesus gets in the boat, what happens to the storm? I mean, just think about this. I have this ridiculous imagination and I try to put myself in that boat. I would be weeping. And looking at Jesus saying, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. When you think about this story, what is Jesus Christ doing? He's in compelling His disciples to put their trust in Him. To put their unwavering faith in Him in the time of storm. And so, so what? What does that mean for you and for me here today? I don't know what storm is raging inside of you. I can certainly tell there's a storm raging outside of us right now. Our culture around us. Uh, we're talking about uh, economically, politically, financially. Uh, financially, economically go hand in hand. Racially, socially, culturally. There is a storm raging. And what is that storm cause you and me do, uh, to do so often? is to doubt and to fear. And so if I were to look at this story in a simple so what, it's on your hand out there, 
I would ask this. What storm is raging right now inside you? What is it? What fear, what doubt is taking hold of your soul right now? And then I would go right to a secondary question, follow-up question. It would be this. Will you place unwavering faith in the only one who can truly calm the storm? He's the only one who can truly calm your storm. And what are the three words we talked about at the beginning? In His time. He's the only one that can fix that storm. But I know as that outer storm is raging, that inner storm is going on in your heart, He's the one that can appease that because of His presence and His power. So brothers and sisters in Christ, do we trust the great I Am? The one who can, who can and will step in at just the right moment to grab our hands, just like we saw that picture a couple weeks ago, reaching down, picking Peter up out of the water. Have you come to the realization yet that it, any moment, Jesus could completely eradicate COVID-19. Have you come to that conclusion yet? At any moment. Have you come to the realization that Jesus could step in at any moment to fix all the evil-driven politics that we see around us? Have you come to the realization that at any moment, Jesus could squelch all the self-consumed riots that are happening around? I mean, just north of us up in Portland. You watch that happen, and you're like, oh, my soul. What is happening? You know, Jesus could fix all that in a moment. So in the meantime, what should we do? Well, I'll tell you, it's the theme of our entire study the next three months. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who will calm the storms in his time. I haven't been able to get away from another passage of Scripture this week, and I'm not going to preach another 45 minutes on it. But I'll close out in reading it because I believe this next passage of Scripture is born out very possibly of the story in Matthew 14. I have it on the back of your handout, right at the bottom. This is in 1 Peter chapter 5. Okay, so 1 Peter chapter 5. Who is the human author of 1 Peter? Yes, Peter. And right at the end of 1 Peter chapter 5, I believe you find an expression that is, that is laced with concepts that happen on the Sea of Galilee. And I'm just going to read these and give opportunity for us to meditate on these this week. And then we'll close out with a song, some baptisms, and go fill our bellies. Practicing Matthew 14, of course. 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Here it is. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. What happened on the Sea of Galilee with Peter? Was Peter humbled beyond measure? This big old strong fisherman. Uh, I, I think there would be a great gospel or country song written called Gurgled at Galilee. <laughs> Gurgling at Galilee. That's what he was doing. And at just the right time, Jesus reached down the mighty hand of God, picks Peter up. Verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. See that in this text, Matthew 14. Verse 8, be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Verse 9, resist Him firm in your what? Faith. Who looked at Peter and said, oh, you have little faith? Jesus. 
Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the whole world. And I would just interject this right now, brothers and sisters in Christ. That inner turmoil that we're going through right now is wrought with believers all across the globe right now. And what are all of us to do? Throw our anxieties to Him because He cares for us. Verse 10, here's the assurance from Almighty God. Here's the hope, Frank. Here's the hope in the passage. And after you have suffered a little while, after you've taken in a couple gallons of water, gurgling at Galilee, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, He will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Okay, a.k.a. He will fix the storm at the right time. And what is the conclusion of the whole matter? Verse 11, to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. He gets the glory through this. So brothers and sisters in Christ, let us fix our eyes on the one who can fix that storm at just the right time. So God, that's the prayer of our hearts today. We want to thank you for this passage of scripture that we could study. We want to thank you for blessing us with the grace to read and study it today. And I pray, God, with that storm that's happening inside of us, because of the storm outside of us, we would place our faith in you. After we had suffer, have suffered for a while, we would see as you establish us, strengthen us, settle us, and fix it in your time. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, however you like to pray in this reflection circle, just as we do in our auditorium every week. Would you pray that God would continue to strengthen your faith? Youngest to oldest right now. I don't want to take for granted that there's some here that have never come to Jesus Christ in faith. What if today, at Lassen Pines Christian Camp, you came to Jesus Christ and you were saved by His grace? Would you call on Him to save you today? When this isn't just something you heard about in your head, uh, through your ears, and it stayed in your head. This is something that made its way to your very heart, the fiber of who you are, the center of who you are, that Jesus saved your soul. Would you come to him today? Scripture says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you can be saved. I would love to talk to you more after we grab some burgers. I'd love to talk to you more about how you can know that you have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Just like another apostle, John says, that you might know that you have eternal life. The rest of us sitting here today, I don't know what storm is, is raging inside of you, and maybe there's not one at this moment, but brothers and sisters, it's not a matter of if, it's when. That storm is going to rage. That unexpected phone call, whatever it might be, would you pray right now that God would continue to give, the, give you the grace to place your unwavering faith in His almighty hand? So God, that is the prayer of our hearts today. We thank you for the time we could spend in your word. I pray as we close out with an anthem of, of glory and praise to how great you are, that you would overwhelm us with your power and majesty. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.